0: Hello again, remarkable and infinite human being. What a pleasure, privilege, and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, in this universe, you are doing fantastic. I'm sending you all of my love, well wishes, good vibes, energy, all the good stuff to you and your family. I hope that you are doing well. We have a very special episode for you today. We have Dr. Nisha Manik. We are talking about bridging science science. Spirituality and the Mystical. I'm in the middle of reading her book. Uh, It is amazing. She is doing a fantastic job with making the modern science and quantum physics and all of that type of science that explains or attempts to explain the quantum realm and mystical. She makes it very easy to understand and bridges the spiritual aspects and implications of it with a level of just mastery and genius so i highly recommend her book Um, she has a medical background Uh, we talk about her own quest for truth the work of william tiller who she writes the book about we talk about a course of miracles uh, living the principles of the heart uh, consciousness not being limited to time or space consciousness works through intestines Intention testing intention in a physics lab, uh, testing the relics of the Buddha. So she goes into her story about the Buddha relics and having this mystical experience and and masters showing up and, uh, like in physical reality, she talks about that. And she's a medical doctor, scientist. And so that was the thing that changed her life. And it's an incredible story. So this is just a, a tiny bit of what we cover. We talk about, um, Geez, what else we got? Uh, Becoming aware of fear and chaos, but not living in it. Space conditioning, inner freedom, um, powerful prayers, uh, being in the peacefulness of God, and and so much more. This is a tremendous episode. I know you're going to love it. If you do enjoy it, please share it as far and wide as you can. Facebook, Instagram, tag me, all that kind of good stuff. If you leave a review in iTunes, those help immensely. Please take a moment to leave a a review in iTunes if you can. Um, Also, Patreon. Um, If you can become a patron, that would be fantastic. I definitely appreciate it. And I'd like to thank Christine Altenberg for becoming a a patron. Thank you so much. That helps to... um, allow me to keep doing the show. And for those of you guys who want to join the academy, it is awesome. I'm putting in new content there all of the time. We've got some binaural beats, meditation, brainwave entrainment tracks in there, some singing sound bowls, brainwave and um, tracks in there, exclusive content from guests. And also, The Soul Compass Course, which is a step-by-step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit, and designing and living the life of your dreams. It is 21 short, simple, and very effective lessons to achieve all of that, and that is free inside the Academy. So go to mattbelair.com, check out the Academy Join the email list because censorship is real and it's the best way to stay in contact with you. Um, so make sure you join the email list so we can stay connected. And for those of you guys who want one-on-one coaching, just go to mattbeliard.com forward slash coaching. And we will, I'll help you with every single thing that I can and know and have experienced with all my connections and support to help you get very clear on what you want to do and how to build the life of your dreams. Um, Some amazing stuff can happen in a very short period of time. So if you're committed, if you're serious, if you're ready to go, um, let's do it. Just hit me up mattbellier.com forward slash coaching. All right, that's it. The best way you can support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world do that today, even just one kind act, say a kind word, write a kind note, just do something nice for someone else. That's the best way you can support the show. So let's come into a state of peace and coherence wherever you are in this world to stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath, and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, and ready to take on this phenomenal episode with Dr. Nisha Manik. Hello, and welcome to the mastermind body and spirit show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest at eight years old decided to seek the truth and never changed her mind. A native of Kenya, her humble background propelled her to transcend limitations, gender, ethnic, and financial. She started her rheumatology career at the Mayo Clinic and is an internationally recognized leader in the field of integrative medicine. She then partnered with one of the world's most innovative physicists. Emeritus Professor William A. Tiller of Stanford University and pushed the boundaries of what is possible in the physics lab. As a part of her tenure with Professor Tiller, she achieved an astonishing confirmation of Tiller physics by testing the sacred relics of the historical Buddha. One of the proudest moments was moderating for the 14th Dalai Lama during a Mind Life Institute conference at the Mayo Clinic. She is the author of the one-of-a-kind book, Bridging Science and Spirit. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nisha Menick.
1: Hey, good evening, Matthew. A big wave from California. And Uh, and thank you to all your Facebook friends joining in.
0: I'm so excited to uh, have you on the show. You sent me your book, which I'm super grateful for. I started browsing through the chapters, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing it is it is the science mind of what i felt intuitively was possible when i was younger looking at things you know like astral projection or how do we achieve a higher state of consciousness and looking at buddhism and yogis and trying to understand that and uh, feeling intuitively that there were levels to consciousness and understanding and you were doing some incredible physics and 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 taking it to um a whole nother level in the physics lab but also making it understandable so why don't you just give the audience who um, is new to your work a little bit about your background and uh, what inspired you to write the book?
1: Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, well, I'm from Kenya, as you, you said, and I left East Africa around the age of 16 or 17. And I, and I did that to really pursue an education um, in East Africa, not much in, in the way of higher education. And so my journey in schooling took me to USA. I did medical school at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. And my original or primary medical training was in London. Okay. And from London then I came back to the USA uh, to pursue rheumatology. So I'm a rheumatologist and I deal with Uh, people who have chronic diseases in arthritis joints, immune system, okay, so you've heard of osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, and from, uh, I did my training actually at Stanford University, and then joined the Mayo Clinic, and most of my career was in a very academic teaching institution, such as the Mayo Clinic uh, in Minnesota. And while I was there, and actually I think the story began way before, this um, understanding of what is the truth. Uh, I want to know the underlying dynamics, <clears throat> what makes na- nature tick, makes us tick, okay? We are one of the highest creations. We know that. It's a, you don't have to prove that. You just look around. You have minerals. You have plants. You have animals. And then you have Homo sapiens. And so we have this capacity of such greatness, and of course you have the spectrum to such destruction. We're in this spectrum. So here I am doing medicine and really wondering, is it all just chemistry? Is it all biochemistry that that makes us who we are? And that's of course not true, okay? But where do we find the truth um, of, what we're capable of Um, and this takes us right into this question of consciousness okay and so my segue into the world of tiller physics was actually initially to understand energy systems and the subtle energy systems of the body which people might know about the human biofield okay and so when we look at what exactly this thing is the energy systems you have to go to physics when you talk about energy, right? In medicine, energy is what we eat. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what is the actual underlying characteristic of these subtle energies and why can't we see them? Why can't we see them with a detector? If I put an energy meter, we don't see these things. And I certainly didn't see them in anatomy and physiology. We can dissect the body and they're there. Why are they so hidden? Okay, so I ran into Tiller's work because he is a physicist that really asked the same question, okay? He said, well, I feel these things. I meditate or do Tai Chi or Qigong. I feel certain things and, and they move. Energy is about movement from a gradient and it does work. So he comes from a very physics and engineering background. And for me was, hey, Do these things create chemical potentials? Do they make the cellular mechanism run? Now, there was one problem. Okay, so I'm here in my medicine hat and wondering how does these energy medicine fit in the greater scheme of what I prescribe, drugs, nutritional, whatever it is, how does it fit in there? And so I get Tiller's paper. It was actually writing a book chapter uh, for a medical textbook, and I was really Going into the characteristic of these systems. And I run into his paper and he coined the term subtle energies. And there was one problem. I couldn't understand his work. I couldn't understand the equations. I couldn't understand the physics language. Okay, you have to know certain basics of physics to be able to understand Tiller's work. So that's where I said, I gotta talk to this man. Now I was at Stanford with in fellowship, training. Um, he retired in 1999. Our paths actually never crossed. You know, he's now retired in Arizona. He's he's 91 years old. Um, he used to do research up till last year. So he's really quite an amazing man. And so I contacted him and said, I love your paper, but I don't understand much of it or most of it. Can you help me? Can you help me? bridge this gap between my understanding, because I think what you're saying has to do with the acupuncture system, with intention, but it's just too complex and and your language and your equations, I can't get there just by reading and rereading the paper. So first of all, he there was just silence. I mean, I, I couldn't get anything. It was just silence. I was very persistent. You could say my intention was very strong. I really needed for him to to answer me. And he did. And we met at, um, uh, it was really a conference I was speaking at. And he lives in Scottsdale. And so he agreed to meet me for dinner. And that's when I realized, wow, this isn't just about solar energies. This This mind is really bridging or has... Enormous uh, capacity for conventional physics. Okay, he knows mathematics. He knows experiments, uh, experimental evidence. What what it means to be scientific, all of those things in benchmarks, in reproducibility, how to do scientific protocols, data analysis, all of that. But then there's this other side. The other side is this enormous spiritual development. And I didn't quite, I didn't go with that mindset. I was going with, I want to know about your paper. But what I came away from that dinner was, wow, this is a spiritual person. Okay. And why do I say that? Um, One point in his, in in our dinner, I, I asked him, and I was at that time a student of A Course in Miracles. And uh, something about his science does say that the more a human taps into the heart, there is an a, a aspect of his model that you develop deltrons, okay? You connect the slower-than-speed-of-light world and the faster-than-speed-of-light world. Well, I wasn't going there, but he said this. I met Helen Shuckman because she came to my home in Stanford to give me the first manuscript of A Course in Miracles. And I remember thinking, holy mackerel, because I was a student of the Course in Miracles. And the fact that Helen Schuckman, who was a fellow scientist at Columbia University, would make a trek out to Tiller to give him the original manuscript was saying something. Okay, I respected the course. Um, and so when Tiller says, yes, I know Helen, and I live my life according to the principles laid out in a Course in Miracles was speaking volumes to me. I had never met a scientist who did both, who followed the true and tested models of Western science, but was also doing, in his private live every life, every day, living the principles of the heart, of knowing the path of Jesus, basically, okay? So, when I left that dinner meeting, I said to myself, Wow, this is the kind of mentor I want. Okay, it's not just linear scientific learning, but somebody who brings both worlds and is alive to both worlds, the linear and the spiritual, together, complementary. One is not less important, and one is not more. They're both important to understanding ourselves as Homo sapiens. So, Holy smokes! If you ever get get a mentor like that, don't don't pass up the chance. Really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That sounds that sounds amazing. And there's a lot of different ways I'd like to go with this, and so I'll try to keep it open ended. I'm really curious about the testing on the relics of the historical or relics of the historical Buddha. So I'm curious if you could touch on that because I'm curious about that, and then just addressing what do we need to know about the physics and as far as the principles and, and where are the limits of consciousness? These are kind of my fundamental questions I've been always asking. And I think that you're touching on another important concept of what does it mean to live a, a good life? You know, what what principles can we be living by these practices and tools to improve our quality of life include include our, our improve our well-being and how we feel so so many people are really terrible to themselves right they're depressed and anxious and and they can't create an, and even just another thing i'd like to bring up is what you overcame to achieve what you did to go to university and it says in your bio and when i read that i kind of think of some of the yeah. things i struggle with and i'm like oh, i need to overcome this and i can't imagine it was even close to as hard as what you had to deal with, and so I'm wondering if you can kind of touch on some of those ideas.
1: You know, so um, you, you bring in many, many aspects, and, and um, if I miss anything, just you know, remind me, we'll go there. Uh, you mentioned the relics of the Buddha, but I'll tell you coming out from Kenya and going to Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, it's a great university, that's where I got the notion to study medicine it was my school advisor he says you know you're very articulate you know science you clearly can speak english (laughs) even though you were you were born in i I never learned english formally i learned it by reading okay i was an avid reader Um, so that's the first clue that you know read um, it was my gateway to understanding bigger perspectives than the little villager i grew up in or nairobi kenya um, so it was very clear to me that um, for an Indian girl, you you get married and you, you raise a family. But I knew that I really needed to expand my horizons. I, it was just an intuition. And then I put my intention to work. Okay. I didn't know I was doing it like that at the time. Um, so the intention carries you far. It was to seek the truth, seek my own uh, development in the scientific realm, because to me, the truth is through science. The truth is through scientific means. And then I brushed against limitations very quickly, okay, in medicine. I, I really did, uh, because we're not a bunch of biomolecules just bunching around, walking around. We're much more than that. And uh, it it really comes down to this energetic and informational levels built into us. Okay, now I am making a big jump here for your listeners or viewers, um, but we'll go first to this consciousness. What is it? Now, science will tell you we don't have an agreed upon definition. Conscious to me is being awake, but consciousness is really an every awareness. It's not just your skull or your brain, okay? That's the first thing to say consciousness is not limited to a space or time and I need to say this up front so if you look at the brain if you go to the cellular level uh, cell, cellular level we are going to say if we think about consciousness from the brain then where is it in the brain is it the cell membrane Is it the cell structure? Is it the DNA? And can we unravel these proteins and look at them? And they all, they do is spin and vibrate, but they cannot make Nisha talk. They cannot write Beethoven's symphony. These proteins don't write the books, Bridging Science and Spirit. So where does that consciousness take the creative spirit? And I think Tiller did something very interesting with this question, the hard problem of consciousness. And he said, We may not agree what consciousness is, but we can sure agree on what consciousness does. He took an operational viewpoint. Consciousness does things by intention. And intention is a process of creation. Just by me, uh, intention, uh, I created sentences. Then I strung them together. I created diagrams and illustrations which then became the book. Our intention is very, very um, visible. My intention is speaking by my shirt. I like blue. I love coffee in the mornings. Uh, My intention to pay attention to the time to be here with Matthew Belair, okay? Those are intention aspects. They're not separate from consciousness, okay? But that's how my consciousness works. It's through my intention. It chisels it. And the more you become aware of your intention, um, it's an operative thing in the world, then you'll be careful what you are creating, how you're creating, what you're creating, how does it endure, okay? And I know my book will endure the test of time. It's going to be there even when Nisha has disappeared, Okay. And then we come to this other aspect of intention, which is really very powerful. Tiller set out to test his intention in the physics lab. So he's a giant uh, in physics, and he said, okay, can my intention change something material out there? This is a very powerful, uh, you might say, science experiment. He, He had carefully created the conditions, and then he set up to test his intention to change a material uh, like water. That was his first intention, target experiments. Then he went on to test human enzymes and a whole living system, but we'll just focus on the water for a moment. Now, if we, you and I, Matthew, were to say, let's, let's test our intention to change a glass of water. Okay, this is exactly what he did. How how would you do that under controlled conditions? Now, my intention at any point in time isn't hundred percent focused for minutes and seconds at a time, seconds, minutes, hours. Okay, Tiller can focus on one thought for more than forty minutes or forty five. Okay. He's able to hold one intention. He's able to do that because like I said, he's a spiritual adept. He's been meditating for more than 50 years, five decades. He started his meditation practice. He's 90 now, but since the early 70s, okay? So he's been doing this every day and he's now, his whole life is one whole unbroken meditation. But when he was designing this protocol, he decided that, okay, we know a couple of things about the human mind. One, once it focuses, it can change materials, but it can can also change machines, okay? It can actually change this mouse, for example. A human intention can activate this mouse without touching it. And this is from the Pear Labs, which is in Princeton. Uh, This was also at Stanford Labs. So with human touching anything, it can make things happen in a random uh, number generator. These are machines, okay? So we know that statistically, humans can affect a machine from a distance in a very distinct direction. So we know that. How does it happen? subtle energies from the human consciousness has the effect it has non-local effects so that was very interesting to me i thought okay so this machine can hold the human information in a stable way for some time without leaking away it's activated it's Metastable. That's what Tiller calls it. Now, metastable is a language used in thermodynamics. It's not at equilibrium anymore. It's activated, even though when you look at the mouse, it looks the same. Anyway, people will call it a mouse, but it's not the same mouse. An instrument, a musical instrument that the violinist played over and over again is not the same instrument. A piano, or my Jeep when I drive it. It's not the same Jeep that I've driven over and over again. I feel the Jeep, I know the Jeep, I call it Jeep, okay? So we imprint these things into objects all the time. A key comes back to me, which I might have lost, but it finds its way back, okay? Um, uh, Objects uh, do funky things, okay? It really does. So.
0: Go ahead, Matt. You were saying something. Yeah, it reminds me of um, the idea of sacred objects. Yes. You know, the way that you put it there, I've heard of these ideas before, but the way that you just explained it helped me understand it to, I'd say, two or three levels deeper. It's very fascinating.
1: Yeah. You know, so you have talismans, for example, and crystals are something that healers use a lot. And, you know, so Tiller actually imprinted through, he would go into a deep meditation and would say, may the, Hydrogen ions of this water increase by X amount. I mean, literally, a physics protocol, but it's an intention, okay? He would go into meditation, hold this focus or intention inside to change the water in a very distinct direction and hold it for about half an hour and then let it go, surrender it. Uh, And I write about it in more detail in my book. Now, this thing, this object is imprinted with the intention, is then sent to a lab, and it's set against a, a glass of water. And wouldn't you know it, the pH changed in exactly the direction the intention was set, okay? And this was very, at first I thought, this is impossible. This is not, this is not the way intention works. And and in through an object, okay, which is now like a laser beaming your information unbroken 24-7 to the target okay the target is the water and the fact that it worked was mind blowing to me actually it was mind-blowing to tiller also he says wow this is a game changer because this box can now do fantastic things we could imprint a whole host of stuff and then he went on to enhance human enzymes he went on to create a whole new fruit fly, which is a biological system that is used in science um, as a way to show effects of intention, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a natural biological mechanism. It's used in medicine. It's used in genetics. He used it in the physics lab. So this object is active. It's intelligent. It was a repository of Tiller's intention is like a sacred object it's not a mouse anymore and this brings us to this question of sacred objects can objects have intelligence yes they do i'm unequivocal because i came into the most exalted or most sublime objects of the relics of the buddha and buddha you know lived what 2600 years ago and yet when he passed when he left his physical body, he left behind these crystal-like objects that um, hold his loving kindness intention to this day. Till his objects hold his, till his intention for up to six months to a year now, that's the half-life. But Buddha is a master. He's an avatar, a very high consciousness. And the relics of the Buddha have, when I saw the, the relics, I wrote a paper about them because it was, it was life transformational, okay? My, my, my life changed in a few seconds when I looked at the relics and it was like love radiating to me. And it was so powerful and so unconditional. This is grandma multiplied, okay, over and over. Buddha is tangible, He would speak to you through the relics. And here's the fascinating thing. There's no flesh or blood, no body there. No body, no brain. It's an object. And right away, I could see that my whole notion of consciousness in a brain was limited. It had bound me up in a skull, but consciousness is not bound in between the years. This object, Buddha's relics, really blew me away in terms of our understanding of where consciousness can do and can be, okay? It doesn't need, the vehicle can, uh, can be anything. It doesn't need to be the body itself. So the relics of the Buddha, when I saw them in Minneapolis at the Guta Monastery, I made the intention Literally, I made the intention that I would invite the relics to my home, to uh, the family home in Los Angeles, and we were granted permission. So they came, okay? They came to our home in LA, and here's what I did, okay? They're very conscious objects. They immediately changed the room, the living room, into something new, and that's where we'll come back to what Tiller really stumbled into as to the magnitude of intention effects. And he didn't have this hypothesis. All he was doing was, can my intention change this glass of water? Yes, it does. He's very focused. He changed an object, which went on to change the material properties of something as familiar as water. So when the relics came to the family home, I did something. I took tiller devices, I took 11 of them and put them under the table where the relics were housed and made the intention, may the loving kindness essence be imprinted into the tiller devices. And when the relics went on to other uh, monasteries and exhibits, I took the tiller devices and, and wrapped them up in aluminum foil because that's what tiller does. It reduces leakage of loving kindness information in this case to the environment. Okay. And that's where I gave one of them to Tiller to test. Okay. And we did a very interesting experiment that has been reported in a science uh, journal. um, And also uh, it's reported in the book in a very general sense so people can grasp what we were talking about, what we did, okay? And by the way, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama is aware of this work. He has a copy of the paper. Um, and, you know, I did tell him also when I met him in Boston, in, in the Kurukula Center, hey, uh, the relics of the Buddha are a vital clue that consciousness is not the brain. Hmm. It's a vital clue that objects can be intelligent and not just for a short time. We're talking about more than 2,600 years. What gives? Okay, you can't put the relic into an MRI machine. This doesn't make sense, but the tiller model does. Okay, and um, so we've talked a little bit about the relics. They're objects left by the uh, Buddha, his av- he's an avatar, and he's of such a high consciousness, he's able to manifest these relics. And really, the relics um, were left to show, to support the Buddhist monks on their way home, okay, to become Buddha consciousness themselves. Because when you're around the relics, you're not an ordinary nisha consciousness anymore because what happened to me was and this is my own subjective personal uh, report was that there was a sense of something beyond me beyond this limitation of a physical body of flesh in nisha's form it was gone my sense of space was gone my sense of time, this it's five o'clock in a monastery, was gone. I was absolutely aware of a presence. I was absolutely aware of a presence that I wouldn't call body. It was a sense of Buddha himself being there, but there was no body. And then I look at the relics themselves, and there were Ananda, Madgalyana. Uh, Nagarjuna. These are the first council of Buddha. And I had read of Buddha's story when I was a child, but to me, it was just a story, but it's not just a story. These are living beings that walked on earth and also left their relics. And so when I'm looking at Ananda and Nagarjuna and saying, oh my God, this is amazing. Look, you know, I'm trying to say, in myself and then this loving presence comes almost hugs you i I had to grasp the table okay of the t- of the relics and and the whole mind went silent like I was loved beyond anything ever and I was transformed my mind went silent and I actually sat in that monastery for God knows how long I don't know because they had to say we're closing now, okay, you have to stagger outside (laughs) and really take stock of what happened here. And so you had to, I had to almost energize myself back to this reality, this moment and call back thoughts to say, okay, how do I drive? How do I, because those sense, those sense of time and space were gone for that time I was with the relics they're no longer meaningful to talk about like that okay it's, it's your your sense of who you are what you are is really changed and transformed I would say the word who was incorrect I got the what of what I am what I am mm. and what connected with me was the quality of unconditional loving kindness so when we talk about who am I, it's incorrect in my view, because who takes you into a form? It forces you into a form. But when you say what am I, what means love, a qualitative thing, and that's where we come back to Matthew, this consciousness. What is consciousness? Okay, consciousness isn't to say what is consciousness, and and leave it there is actually I think also limited because. Consciousness is a spectrum of love in varying degrees of presence. It's like the light switch is either very bright or the light is, the absence of love, the light is off. You have darkness, but it's still only one quality. And if if your listeners get this, they're really ahead of the game. Then you have levels of consciousness from Christ and Buddha consciousness to the absence of it, which is, well, hatred. Okay, so conscious is still one quality of love, and and its presence. And I'm doing this because I think of it as a vertical scale, from zero, no love, to Christ consciousness, and that brings us to that levels where you have a scientific scale of some sort to get to wrap your head around it. After all, we're talking about science and spirit. So I think the work that tiller does is very high on that scale it is coming from lovingness it's coming from let me test my intention let me be shown the truth of what i'm capable of not the truth of some funding agency or some journal no it was he was really testing himself out and he was shown that you are capable of this and it really brings down to that biblical teaching verily verily i say unto you these things I will create, but you can do greater works than these also. And I think there's great truth to that biblical teaching. So Tiller is saying, okay, I can do this. I can imprint, create intelligent objects, which now can go on to serve, you know, uh with unbroken focus, like a laser beam, uh, to change things in a very beneficial way. He has never done things that would be in a destructive way. Besides, when you have a very low consciousness, it just short circuits anyway. It cannot have the power, like Buddha has, of love, of being here with us now, 2,600 years on. It's really fantastic to even think about it.
0: Holy smokes. Well, there's a few clarifying questions I want to ask because that is a very, very fascinating story. I've had similar ones myself, and I've heard of friends who have shared similar Mm -hmm. ones. So the first clarifying question that I wanted to ask was, when you said you saw them, did you see them in physical form?
1: Yes. So I go to the monastery in Guto, and I go in, and immediately I just entered the doorway, and I thought, whoa, this is I could feel something already, and then I went to the table where the where the glass cases are kept, where you gaze on the relics themselves. And um, and if you want to see a picture of the relics, I can screen share if you want.
0: Yeah, and I'd love to uh, reference the study too. Like you could go into it or or show people where you um, where you find the study because I've I've had similar experience. I've heard them. And it's mind blowing, and it reminds me of life and teachings of the masters of the Far East. I don't know if you've ever read that, yes, but if read
1: the book, yes. yes, And by, by Spalding, and um he's that book is correct.
0: Mm, wow! You have
1: any chance to ask Buddhist masters, to tell me about this book. Really, and the, the, whatever is reported in Spalding's books, it was just late 1800s, he was an engineer who went to Tibet and had the most marvelous lessons. Okay. With and he, he, he had a band of teachers. He, he went around the monasteries and records. He records them as like a journal and then he came back and he published them through divorce. Divorce is a publisher that no longer exists in San Diego, but yeah, I, I looked into these questions. Okay. No, he's correct. Spalding's book is correct and deserves careful study. Even now, even now, which is now 2020, even more now, if you ask me, okay? So these things of Buddha's land are correct and they're real. They're not fantastical, they're not woo-woo, okay? This is real science. And in fact, I would say the more spiritual you become, the more scientific you are in your living.
0: And would you say, Uh, Yogananda as well it would be
1: absolutely and in fact I've been to Yogananda's Babaji's cave in um, in the foothills of the Himalayas I went trekking there so these things exist they are really true and are there for us to we are beneficiaries of this knowledge. It's too bad that we cover it up with rationalities. You know, I was there, I was there too. And when I came across the relics of the Buddha, and I told you it was transformative, I was rearranged very deeply, so deeply, in fact, that to have the relics come to our home again, and to do these experiments. And I think, the masters probably knew <laughs> they 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 suss you out i think where your heart is where your intention is and to understand this is a very high level of science this isn't bottom up science where you get a bit of knowledge incremental and then you build on it and you build on it we were given something from nature of a very high level it's top down science and i can tell you from what i could from all my reading Tiller's work confirmed the relics because when you have a box like a mouse, which is intelligent, and the Buddha's relics, it's like a device. This is an intention host device. The relics are a very high order device. You could call this the Model T. I call it the Model T. <laughs> uh, the Ford car company. Tiller says, you know, don't worry about the device. It, it's just a repository. Don't don't get tangled up with it measures this, and it's this. And, and I write about it, you know, the, the device in some 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 detail, but not too much. He says, the details are one thing, that the, the, the what the device is showing is that humans are capable of creating marvelous things. And they it does that through the space, okay? And I'm leaving a little clue here, because when Tiller was doing his intention experiment, Yes, he looked at the target itself, but he also monitored the lab space itself. Where, Because mm-hmm. when, when you do experiments which are really unusual and you look at thermodynamics, you want to look at the ambient conditions and also the target itself. It's just part of the protocol. And it's the space where he was monitoring it that was really doing unusual things. And I said, when I went into GUTO, the monastery in northern Minneapolis, and I entered the door and went, oh, there's something very unusual here. Then I looked at the relics and I was blown away. Okay. But, but the, the space itself was already of a very different quality, very different quality. Um, when the relics came to our home, let me give you an example that I think will help your listeners and viewers get a perspective. When the Buddha's relics came to our home uh, in Los Angeles, imagine for a moment a very high space like Westminster Abbey. The living room within a few seconds felt like you're sitting in Westminster Abbey, not, not like the living room. The space went magnitudes of a great cathedral. How is that? And, you know, ordinary living room is where I have coffee. I read the Wall Street Journal. It's, but it was feeling like a high cathedral. And people who, who visited our home for three days when the, the tour was going on reported that. That when they step into it, it's, you're a different, the potential of that space supports every material thing in it. And that space is like a blueprint. The material thing in which is human bodies is different. You have things that will happen to the atoms and molecules that constitute the physical form. And when you are in that space, you have now the potential of a very different behavior. And which is what we observed, which is what we were seeing. People were healing. People had emotional upliftment. Um, I wrote in my paper, by the way, the people, your listeners and viewers can go. At the end, we can go to my website address because the original Buddha relic paper is there and it's free. It's open access. I made that open access. So you have pictures, you have the actual data of Tiller's uh, original experiment and what I did. I posited that when the relics come anywhere, these objects, these devices condition the space.
0: Mm.
1: Condition the space. That word conditioning was coined by Tiller. That space really changes all materials. So if you go to a very conditioned, and, and one example in Canada, which I have visited, is the Basilica of Saint Joseph on Montreal? And the first Canadian saint is Ferry Andre, right? Brother Andre, you might not know him, but the the largest basilica dedicated to Saint Joseph is in Toronto. Hmm. Where are you, Matthew? I shouldn't have asked you that.
0: I'm an hour outside of Toronto.
1: Okay, so you have to
0: send me. I'm going to go now for sure.
1: You have to go there. It's a very highly conditioned space. And I would say, take your children, Iris.
0: Absolutely. Children. So what, what, are the, what are the two places called again?
1: Mount Royal. Okay. Mount Royal. And, and you know, the, the relic tour of the Buddha has been through Canada. I don't know exactly the mm. site, but it went to Edmonton and then it came down to Minneapolis. And that's where my friend from Edmonton says, you need to go here. And I thought, oh, I don't know about relics. I don't know. I, so, I don't know about relics. I, were I, you,
0: yeah. yeah. At that time, were you more of your scientific mind at that time too? Not so. And it switched you. So it brought you over and, here. I, and I didn't, <laughs> the word,
1: I didn't even know the word relic, what that meant. But I told you, I had made an intention – to seek the truth. And my fr- mm-hmm. my friend in Edmonton said, her name is Patricia Mackay. And Patricia says, Nesha, I know you've read A Course in Miracles. We were students together. And she says, and you you really love this whole spiritual side, but um, I think the relics are going to be a very important link for you. So I went. I, I didn't know what a relic was. I thought it was a hey, it was free. (laughs) And it's a short drive up to Minneapolis from Rochester, Minnesota. Why not? So I was very curious. And that curiosity took me there. And boy, did it ever change my life. And then we hosted the relics at our home. That's like Buddha himself has come to your home, Matthew. I mean it.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I I absolutely hear what you're saying. Um, I've shared some stories in the podcast that people have picked up here and there, but I've had direct experiences like that, that I can't explain. And one of them was an actual person. So what you were talking about uh, makes me think, like they say, you know, some legit yogis can give you a little boop in the head and, and kind of give you that experience. I think that that's, I think that that's possible. And I also think that some people take advantage of that. So you're trying to seek in it like, a, you know, um, a chubby kid that just wants a chocolate bar. It's not like the right intentions, you know, it's like, it's got to be pure. But I think if you do it that way, it happens. But I'll just make a really long story short. I had a person in that I had met. He was really amazing. I actually write about him in the book as an athlete, but... He comes over to the house at my request because when he was speaking at this group setting, he was just dropping such amazing wisdom. You you just knew he knew what was going on. He comes over to my house, and I'm asking him deep questions about the world, right? And he's just giving me these extraordinary answers. And I go, Uh how do you know this? Because you could tell he knew. I was like, how do you know this? He goes, well, um, I was always a curious person. Um, I read a lot of spiritual books in my life. And um, at one point, I said, I have to know. So that year, I read over 350 books, everything on spirituality, every religious book there was, I just sat and read all year. That didn't do it. No. So I said, I'm going to, he goes, I'm going to um, meditate for the rest of my life until I know. And he looks at me, he goes, You can't fake it. He's like, I was never going to come out of meditation until I knew. And I said, Okay, what did you do? And he goes, I started meditating. I was like, well, how exactly? He goes, I meditated 20 hours a day um, every single day and (laughs) and slept for four hours. And I said, what did you eat? He goes, well, my brother would drop off food for me um, every couple of weeks and I'd eat a little bit and and go to sleep. And he goes, and I was like, okay. And he goes, it just so happens to be at about a hundred days. I felt like I was getting electrocuted. And he goes, I didn't know if water was coming through on the floor and I was actually being electrocuted because I'd just been meditating. And I said, what did you meditate on? And he just said one with God. And he goes, Mm -hmm. you know, he describes a similar experience. I've had a similar experience where it's kind of beyond words and it's, you know, there's no time, there's no space. It's, it's really incredible. But here's the weird thing. He said some other stuff. Um, but that was basically a story as we were talking I felt like I was floating out of my chair to the point where as I was listening to his story, I had unconsciously put my hands underneath my chair to prevent my body from floating up. And and then I'm listening to a story and then I realized what my hands were doing. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why are my hands doing this so I was like and and, and he'd taken a pause and I said okay uh, his name was Tyrone I said Tyrone I gotta you know what a name for for it too so funny okay Tyrone I gotta go to the washroom so I go to the washroom and when I go to wash my hands my face is not my face it's like still my face but everything is distorted and it's like not physical it's just kind of moving around like a funhouse mirror and I was completely sober and I was just like Oh my word. And I just look at it and I kind of giggle to myself because I knew something was happening. And I go out and we finish the conversation. The really strange thing was two weeks prior to that, I had two of my best friends over to this place where I was, which was kind of remote as by myself. And we were just talking about all these spiritual concepts. I had that feeling right by myself. I started to float out of my body and I was thinking to myself, I'm a strange guy. And I do strange things like meditation and things like this. I'm not going to tell my two buddies this because this is weird. I'm going to keep it to myself. Yes. Two minutes later, my friend goes, okay, is anybody else really? And he said, F'd up. Is anybody else really F'd up, up right now? I look at him and then I look at my best friend who's also there and I know him pretty well. His face is beet red and he's got his hands on the table. Very, very securely. And I go, yeah, he's messed up. And we, we all had this same similar experience to what you're talking about. And we spent the night and the weekend, none of us had had that. And then I had it two weeks later. And so I only wanted to share that story briefly for the viewers to say, Hey, you know, I know of other peoples who, who've had these experiences. I've had them. They're kind of unexplainable. And so what I wanted to give you as, as far as questions, cause then you can continue any way you want. And I'll sit here for mm-hmm. 20 years. I'll do it in sat saying, they call it like the hard sit. You gotta sit. You sit. That I'll sit here for as long as you'd like to speak. But my question is always the how. How can I get to that state and, and maintain it and live in compassion and and peace and also service and and have a really high degree of consciousness? Because it's not about remote viewing. So you have a skill and then you 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 share on Instagram. Like that's not what this crap is for. You know what I mean? Nor in nor the intention or law of attraction. It is about creating service through what you unique, uniquely want to offer and that's a beautiful gift to the world and the universe wants to respond to that that's um how i see it anyway and so some of the questions that i had for you that you can touch on it if you wish is the law of attraction side is like uh you know when you when you're using your intention and it's not quite working because you you, you haven't built up the belief right one of the teachings i heard is if you believe it 100% you doubt it 100% you get zero attraction and tyrone shared a a story about him attracting an incredible story of attracting through doing nothing by applying that principle and also staying present. And so demonstrating that that principle did exist, like asking it is uh, given to you. Um, So how do I overcome the doubt? I guess is the thing if I want to be of service. And then one of the big things that I'm struggling with, especially now in the world is coming to grips with what I see as evil and know is evil. So um, I said at the beginning of the podcast, I knew, uh, when I was younger, I didn't understand war and starvation. 9.1 million people die of starvation. I learned about these systems these people with extraordinary power that do extraordinary evil things they do exist it's verifiable you can follow it you can know it 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 definitely exists and uh, human trafficking that stuff exists and propaganda and manipulation that exists because i wanted to know about the systems it it just led to the systems that suppressed and so if i'm viewing that and i'm watching people suffer it's really Mm -hmm. hard for me and i want to help And so, and now, if I try to help people yell at me because they say it's misinformation and this, but they won't li- listen to what I want to share. And originally, you know, if we flash back to February, we would have just been talking about this: how do we live extraordinary lives? But now we're we're facing a bit of an adversary, a bit of a fear, a bit of you know all of this other other thing, and it, and it's changed the dynamic. And so, for me, I'm I'm personally struggling with how do I look at the evil stuff, but want to make the positive difference. And so that's a whole bunch of stuff. And I'll let you tackle that. How, how you wish.
1: This, this is wonderful. Uh Matt, first of all, your friend Tyron, you see, um, spiritual knowledge is to be lived. It doesn't come from books. It's, it would be dead. So he made the extraordinary, um, decision intention to sit down and watch his mind and by the way to even say watch his mind is incorrect because your mind is not your mind we think oh, okay let me put it this way when you when you woke up today your heart is beating you didn't say your heart beat or or the lungs to breathe and take in oxygen it happens impersonally the same the mind is doing its thing it's supposed to think you cannot stop it okay so Tyrone has understood the silence that is always there because it's very powerful once you know that you don't you don't have to pay attention to the little radio in the corner playing its thing and by the way it's not your mind your thoughts we think of it my mind my thoughts my private this and this It's nonsense once you know that you can be unattached you are now free to choose he was just choosing okay so he became a master of observation of awareness and this is not the same as mindfulness by the way okay so that is supremely powerful once you know the context the silence of your mind that you're allowing you have a different antenna your bandwidth is different you're not going "Eh, eh, 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 eh." no you're choosing a different bandwidth that's all by the way tiller refused to work with me unless i meditated daily that was his condition he first of all said i don't have any funding for you i said i don't care you know something that i really want to go there And then he said, okay, but the second thing is, uh, I want you to meditate every day. Basically he was saying, become aware of your inner chaos. And we're there right now. We are fearful and chaotic, okay? Your friend Tyrone, he can go into any situation, but he is self-managed, okay? And we're capable of that as human beings. By the way, Any evil you see also, this is the lesson. Do not fight it. Do not resist it. Choose differently. And so I applaud you, Matthew, because even in this very strange, uncertain, upside down world, you're choosing to show up for the truth. You're choosing it. And life over and over again will show us. We don't know what happens tomorrow. Future is a figment of your imagination. It's not there. Okay. It's not real. What is real is right now and you're choosing. And and this is another example. I always think of Master Jesus. He chose every moment. Okay. Uh, he wasn't resisting. He would simply say, oh, okay, it's like this in this temple and uh, I'm going to choose this. I'm going to choose my father's way. You could say Jesus was the most perfect man and student in that way. Okay. He chose and he chose right up to the end, the father's way. And so we can do that too. You don't have to go out and protest black lives matter. It's important, but you can be home and have self-preservation and protest that way. Do you understand? You don't have to get clubbed over your head about these things or paint graffiti over these things. No. You choose the truth. You choose it. And in that position, you're broadcasting it. Your intention is not contained in you. You are always... That is, let me put it this way, a field effect. You radiate that, okay? So you are... A person of the truth, your position is being um, transmitted in that way, just like Buddha's relics are transmitting love right now to us. It is not separate 2,600 years ago. His memory and what he stands for is very alive. The same way with Jesus, same way with Matthew. So you have to set that um, bar in yourself to be of love all the time so that there are no, no um, obstacles. So it's like one, one person once said to a teacher, if love is the answer, how can I get more love in my life? And the answer is you can't get love. You are the essence of love. Love is the essence of that which you are already. What you have to do is release the blocks to it. You release the, um, the beliefs and projections. And once you do that, you, it's like the clouds are covering up the sun. So you cannot get that. Okay, You, you don't reach or grasp for it, but you simply release the blocks of the, the, the essence of Matthew. And that is all heart and love because that's really what we are. I hope that really gets us to a closer truth of what we are instead of grasping all the time. And that's what Tyrone has done. You know, he's really understood his own nature by observation no violence, no drugs, no psychedelics, nothing. He simply sat down. And so, this is one big lesson for all of us. Sit with yourself, close your eyes, and breathe. The breath is the anchor, and just watch everything that comes in. I teach my patients this, okay? I teach them just to sit with that, That um, sit with their mind, sit with even their fears, because they have a lot of health things that are swirling. And in the clinic, I'm not doing clinic right now, I'm doing virtual but when it is time, we, we just settle down for five minutes as we did before we got onto the podcast, which is really beautiful. You set the tone. Let's just set the intention to help everyone who tunes in today. May we speak the truth. Thy will be done. And we're there in the silence. And we can surrender. Okay, we surrender the rest over so I'm not controlling or grasping. So I teach this to my patients and I teach them how to set an intention. The very basics of what is it that bothers you? What is the worst outcome? How would you turn it around? And so we say, I respectfully request, and then we write the sentence out. I respectfully request that this medicine have only the beneficial effects, thy will be done. It comes with those simple things. And it's not simple. It's not simple. The simplest things are the most profound, you know?
0: Beautiful. I absolutely agree. And I think it was well said. I could keep asking you questions all day. Um, I feel like we're just warming up, but I want to respect your time. So- What time is it, Matthew? It's uh, 17 after. Wow. So I think six for you, nine for me. So I don't know. I don't know what your schedule is. Um, but what I'll open it up and say is, is there anything that you wish that we had talked about?
1: Um, I want to say one thing. And that is I gave the clue that you can create with your intention, not only new life, new things, but you have to sharpen that intention, just like Tyrone did. Yeah. with Meditation, understand yourself, understand your motivations, because they're transient. You can, you can create and let go of things that do not serve you. If, if your mind is already quiet, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing to disturb the tranquility? And let that go, whether it's an addiction, habits, um, behaviors, you know yourself. Get to know yourself. It's a very profound thing to do. Uh, for me as a physician, it changed me because as a doctor, now I see people and and there's a kind of, um, I know how it feels to feel in this body, the limitations, and yet their consciousness is unbounded, that they can really know the power. That doesn't mean the body is less real. The body is what the body, the biology needs that. I teach them energetic systems. I teach them how to set an intention and how to have a powerful prayer. All of those impact your well-being, okay? It's called doing all levels, that's what I call it. So yes, I give them supplements in chemistry, I still do that, but I build these other aspects into their program, okay? So that they are ready, so they're able to be flexible in their own life. It's not just absence of disease or treating a, a, a label of arthritis. But that's how they first come to me, okay? I understand that. The second thing I want uh, for people to take away is this aspect of space. That that space you create in your home has power that is like a blueprint. You create that space with your intention, it changes everything in that space. It's called space conditioning, and I go into that in some detail in the book, Okay. And so when the relics of the Buddha came to our home, within a few seconds, I knew Tiller's model is going to work. And, and we did. We proved it, that physics can actually quantify love thermodynamically. It's a source of energy beyond anything you could ever imagine. And we think in limited terms, like, you know, we have finite resources. I would say it's incorrect. It's incorrect. That's a lot to take in here, okay? I,
0: I love it. I, I totally agree. And um, I'm so excited to dig into your book. I'll have to get you back on the show because I feel like we're just scratching the surface. on Scratching
1: the surface, yeah. Yeah. For your listeners and for you too, Matthew, please go to nishamanekmd.com. N-I-S-H-A-M-A-N-E-K-M-D.com. In, about the author, I do say, go to this website, go and get your paper, The Relics of the Buddha, this paper that actually I gave to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, okay? I want your readers to go there and just sit with this paper. It has tremendous power to grasp these ideas because your consciousness expands.
0: Absolutely. Your consciousness
1: expands when you have high truth. Presented to you okay so that also is transformative
0: i agree i I totally agree it reminds me of um sometimes they say it's with geometry but even like looking at the relics or or it's like your level of understanding it kind of just opens up little doors and and even if it doesn't hit you uh, like a sledgehammer to the face right away it it creates that space and a new thought And if we can enter a new thought, um, we can have new ideas and we can change because what happens, what most people are living right now is, is, is a closed system of like a hamster wheel thought pattern loop. And so if you can veer off it for a second, that gives you space. And that also gives you options, which essentially is freedom. And it's a,
1: you touched on the biggest thing. So this Tyron has inner freedom. He has inner freedom, right? As I do, I I mean, there's a freedom created by understanding these scientific validation of my spirit. I knew that all along, but you're right. Now I go, whoa, I see it. Now I'm more conscious about the clinic I create and how the information I share with my patients. And by the way, information is more fundamental than energy and matter. We think of matter, which is most tangible, which is very little of the universe and nature, this is very small. Then you have energy which changes matter, but the, the thing of information is what shapes energy, which shapes matter. Okay? Mm. So the well, fundamental principle is information, what I just said. Information is so and physics now agrees it's not energy is everything. Uh-uh, information is everything everything that's the most important principle and fabric that constructs our universe and what what makes earth really special because this little blue dot is where information hides Mm. we're not on planet mars they're looking for water and inorganic material but the real thing that they should be looking for is does something create information and i explore these concepts in a very fun way in bridging science and spirit, because you can create self-organizing matter all the time in the lab. We do it, but what is it to create information that grows, that creates intelligent objects, and that you know is creating art that endures, and Mona Lisa, and Beethoven's symphony, and a book? That's different. That's intelligence. Okay, and that's information that will stand test
0: of time amazing well
1: we're we're saying so many things here i feel like
0: (laughs) so many good things well you know yeah an hour definitely wasn't enough uh with you but we'll we'll stay in touch and i'll happily get you back on the show i'm really excited to read your book but thank you for your work and your message and uh i look forward to staying in touch and and definitely recommend people go to your website i'm gonna go check out the paper and you can see the relics too because i want to see those too
1: well, the relics, um, I'm trying to think. I, the relics are not on my website, but they, there's a very, the, the Buddha relics paper has an incredible picture. And you know what? The journal said yes to printing it. Uh, it's a picture that I took off the space. Something very anomalous was happening. And again, the space is very crucial. That's why we create high cathedrals and that's why mm-hmm. you're going to go to Saint Joseph's Basilica in Toronto when you're next there by the way Saint Anne's cathedral in Quebec City is also very conditioned so you want to go to spaces because once you do a intention there it will take shape those are very powerful spaces for healing okay mm-hmm. they've been consciously created over eons and of great beauty and stained glass windows and incense and all these wonderful things. That space is very different. So um, uh, so my paper does have uh, those. Um, the picture of the relic tour. And so they will get the essence of it when you gaze at the picture. Yes. And in fact, the science reviewers, because we went through a peer review process, it's very interesting. The scientists said, Well, the author gives us a framework of why these things would work. And for the first time, we have something. And I recommend publishing this work. And I really love that photograph, it should be. (laughs) And so, yeah, and, you know, this is for for the journal editors. Yeah, they included it. So, Um, and for me, I offer it to the readers or listeners and people, readers of the book that go here, get that paper. It's your gift, and you can go to it again and again and go to that picture
0: so, yeah.
1: of the relic tour, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, actually, when I when I went to your website and signed up, so it's uh, it's en route to my email right now. Um,
1: Yay! Okay. Uh, thank
0: you so much. I'm, I'm so excited to get into your book, and I appreciate your work, work. It's really fascinating, and I'm so grateful you referenced the life and teachings of the Masters of the Far East because not a lot of people have read those books, and they're mind-blowing. And when you read the words, just... Even if it's made up, you you just can't which I don't think it is because Not made up, how I do you how do you write those beautiful sentences? Right? How I don't care if you would say it's like a little monkey in a fairy tale, the sentences are amazing, right? To poetry, structure those and they, words. And
1: they grab you, don't they? They grab yeah. your
0: it's something it's about you can you know you're reading something very profound, you know what I mean It's like whoa, that's some, you know that's we truth. need to
1: bring these classics back out, and mm-hmm. you know uh, it's been buried for a long time, I think it would like I say it was published in nineteen eleven or something like that, but yep. it's publication um and you know I asked um a very revered teacher and he's of the lineage of Yogananda. He's come from Swami Rama. Swami Rama's lineage and Yogananda's lineage go to Babaji and go to Shiva. Okay. These are all unbroken. And so I asked him about Spalding's book, actually. And he went, that is the truth. He speaks the truth. And he did this to me. And I went, whoa. Okay. Because I was, <laughs> I was casually talking to my brother. Remember those books by Spalding that we read? So I've read like Tyrone and like you, we are reading, we're seekers, Mm -hmm. And then when we know the truth, you cannot let go. It's like Tiller's paper. I knew something was the truth. I couldn't understand it. So I contacted him. And lo and behold, he says, okay, but you have to meditate first. Like Tyrone. Mm -hmm. Ask Tyrone, just sit with yourself, Matthew. That's the first thing. And if you feel you're uh, being bounced around, that's what the mind is supposed to do. Don't try to stop it. But mm. don't get attached to every thought flying through.
0: Mm.
1: Anchor in your breath. It's the first thing you can do. And Bhagavan Krishna says this to Arjun in the Gita. Mm-hmm. Just sit with your mind. Hey, dude, you're being disturbed by this war. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but go after the truth and make no mistake because the mind follows you like the shadow. Mm. But at least know for what it is and don't fall victim to the bouncing around. So Krishna is saying to his own friend, and Buddha is saying to us: "Just stay still, sit down, breathe. You got it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's another really great book, the the Bhagavad Gita. I remember that being like, "Whoa, this is a this is a high level. It's not an easy read. <laughs> I was reading it very slow, um, but it's very beautiful." Song.
1: It's a very song. Gita song. Gita is mm-hmm. the song of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's one of my, um, right now I'm studying it again. There are many translations out there. So, I'm, and there'll be new books. One of the books I'm actually writing right now, Matthew, is when Tilla was imprinting from the deep meditative state, and I've been through these sessions a couple of times, there's no question the space immediately starts to feel really, oh my God, okay? You feel refreshed. You come out and you think, whoa, what was that? about and tiller says you know um i'm being assisted by the great unseen he kept on saying that and so i asked him what is this unseen and he gave me three names he told me this this and this and i went oh and i didn't pay attention to it I, they were not familiar to me now that bridging science and spirit has been published i realized i have to go there and explore the relationship what it looks like for the divine and man how does this relationship look like? What is the receptivity of man? How's the, how does the divine show up? And how, do you, how are you receptive to that and the data that comes out of it? Because Tiller could have missed it. He mm-hmm. could have missed it. Science, what, what, what makes you think that divine is just in a temple or a synagogue or a church? Mm-hmm. Can it not be in a physics lab or a clinic? why does why cannot this omnipresent omnipotent essence be anywhere and so tiller has shown me again that it can be in the home it can be in the physics it can be just about just about any it, it's just there's no separation non duality advaita is now coming really more tangibly than ever before and so in the second book, I go into what does that look like and what was the things that Tiller did, even in his daily practice, that made this mind so supreme. You know, I mean, really, when I met him in that dinner, it was so obvious. I was scared of meeting this man. I was terrified because I, I you know, I was just a doctor. I didn't know quite what questions because the paper was so difficult But yet I met this man who was fun, loving, um, open, and I felt very accepted and loved in that dinner. I'll never forget that dinner meeting. And I write a little bit about it in the introduction. So, um, Tiller is showing us the way that, you know, we have to leave this electromagnetic world now We're much and we have to stop feeling addicted to feeling good Mm. you know we have to do serious work not candy stuff and give me a like on facebook okay okay enough of that we have to go further we are poised and i think this is almost like a reset button this pandemic or the civil unrest we must look at our behaviors and go forth we're ready and we don't have to create new stuff it's already there for us the mystics have said it again and again and again the truth is there free You're going to you don't need workshops you just you, we've talked about it here breathe sit down be like tarot and get some somebody can get you the food <laughs> be serious be serious about it and it will bear fruit it will bear fruit and very fast 100 days your friend Something shifted. Mm-hmm. What makes you think you have to go to the Himalayas? No. You, and you know what? The householder is the perfect because relationships is where you're testing it out. Mm. Your own self and then relationships, Iris, your your significant other, and then you, you know, circles ever going out wider. But relationships, you are already, you're reflecting your inner Um, understanding.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's where you you can't hate these people because they're asleep. They're fast asleep, that's all. And so they're playing the victim role. I need this, therefore. You did this, therefore. This happened, therefore. So we think of injustices. I'm not making small of that, believe me. But I think we come from a a position of, I'm going to choose this my response will be choosing the way of, you know, master Jesus, on, give unto Caesar this, but I, the soul of man is, is my responsibility. So you take charge. So you don't blame and you, yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: I think Jesus was just, uh, I'm not Christian, but boy, what a what a teacher, you know? And there's a lot of, St. Matthew, St. John in my book, Psalm 104. Right now, for this month, I'm contemplating Psalm 91. So for me, it's very real. I don't don't see separation between the great faiths of the world. I've studied Buddha. I write about him. Uh, Jesus, he's in my book. Lord Shiva Yogananda's in my book. Padre Pio of Italy shows up in my book. So there are all these essences of divinity that come. And you go, thank you. You know, you say thank you to them because they support you. Mm. They support us in our life now. They're very alive. And um, you, you, at least I do in my prayers, say thank you to the great ones. And may I speak the truth as I understand it and write the truth as I understand it in in the next book.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. uh, I love it. Well, I'm glad you're out there uh sharing your work and and committing to the path and and sharing it with others so I can learn and um apply it and it uh, it's helpful because sometimes I go down the the dark rabbit holes and it's not a good place to stay. So it's a reminder to um you know remember these practices and these teachings especially in challenging times. And that's actually why I really like the Bhagavad Gita because he's in the middle of war in my Archetype yes. is warrior martial artist. And so I consider those things and it's how I kinda analyze the world and, and how I contribute to it. So I love that example. So um well thank you so much for your time and your work. I definitely invite everybody to check out your website to download uh that PDF which you can get for free the study and um thanks for watching. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you, Matthew.
0: <laughs> good night for now. Yeah, good night for now. We'll see you again. Thanks, guys. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Dr. Nisha Manik. I hope you enjoyed that episode. She has been uh, gracious enough to have some conversations with me. Um, I've shared with her some of the struggles that I'm going through with what's happening on the world and how to move in a positive direction. Um, she has such a, a powerful story, some powerful life experiences, incredibly Brilliant with, you know who she is and, and the work she's doing, and her book is amazing. I'm really loving reading that right now, so I highly recommend checking out her book and work. Um, check out that PDF about testing the the Buddha relics. That's fascinating in itself. So she's a really amazing person, and super grateful for her coming on the show, her work, and also uh, giving her, uh, you know, helping me with some of the stuff I'm going through with. All this negative stuff uh, I see in the world and how are we going to create a life um, in a world of peace, of fairness, of goodness, of truth, of collaboration, of... All the amazing potential that human, humanity has. is just, you know, oh my goodness. So she's been very helpful with that. And I'm super, super grateful. So amazing person, amazing guest. Please share this episode as far and as wide as you can. Take a moment to leave a review, become a patron. If you'd like, that would be amazing. I'd love to have you in the academy and go through the Soul Compass course. Uh, you know everyone going through that is just so grateful and and you know very clear on, on what they you can go from i have no idea what i want to do with my life to i have a very clear direction that's exactly what it does 21 days so check it out and uh you know everybody living in their vocation and their truth and their passion is always of service to other people so there you have it um Sign up for the email list because censorship is the real deal, and that's the best way for us to stay connected. And uh, yeah, all of my love and uh, support and and good vibes and everything I, I have and am your way to you listening to this. So let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this up. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose, hold that breath. And just let it out, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, power, courage, strength, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.